0: And author R.T. Kendall writes, To be honest, I had only told Joseph of my problem because I thought he would get I would get sympathy from a man I deeply respected and whom I thought would be on my side. I expected him to put his arm on my shoulder and say, R.T., you are right to feel so angry. Tell me all about it. Get it out of your system. But no... He compassionately but soberly rebuked me and would not let me off the hook. Those words came to me during the greatest trial I had ever had up until that time. I couldn't discuss it with my friends or my family members. But because Joseph was from Romania and was far removed from the situation, I was able to tell him everything. Is that all he asked when I finished my story? Yes, that's it, I said. And then came those remarkable words spoken in his Romanian accent. You must totally forgive them. I can't, I replied. You can and you must, he insisted. Unsatisfied with his response, I tried to continue. I just remembered, there's more. What I didn't tell you, R.T., he interrupted, you must totally forgive them. Release them, and you will be set free. Forgiving others. We do that just fine, don't we? Or do we? Are Christians guilty of the sin of unforgiveness? Philip Keller, in his book, A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer, writes, It is probably safe to say that the overwhelming majority of men and women who repeat the Lord's Prayer have not forgiven others. They have not written off the old debts. They do not have a clear conscience. A backlog of lingering ill will, hostilities, resentments, and animosities beclouds their relationship with others. They are still demanding restitution. They still insist on getting their pound of flesh. It's a problem for you and for me. Who are we unwilling to forgive? Someone who hurt us as a child? The actions of your divorced husband or wife? Your sibling who is more favored than you? Someone who lied to you? A person who disagrees with you at church? A Christian leader who lets you down? Someone who got the promotion at work you felt you should have gotten? not receiving the credit for a good deed you did, a person who continually ignores you, the list can go on and on. Some are extremely serious. Some seem minor. We seem to be born to hurt people. Oh, we don't want to think that, and it doesn't happen all the time, but we do feel justified in doing certain things, and probably some people hurt us, and they don't even know it. Whom does unforgiveness, that sin, affect? Other believers in the church? You and me? Family members? Those outside of the faith, those who don't know Christ like we do, are hurt because of unforgiveness. And us, ourselves. What are the reasons God gives for us to forgive? Lord, why do you want us to forgive? Matthew 6.14, which Doug read for us, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. In the Amplified Bible, that's translated, For if you forgive people their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. You know, forgiveness is only part of the Lord's Prayer. If you read it, there are six petitions. This is number five. Just a real quickie. But the Lord Jesus puts a PS at the end of his prayer, his really disciples' prayer. Here's how to pray. And that's what these two verses are. Matthew six fourteen and 15. The Lord Jesus is saying to us, if we forgive others, our Heavenly Father will forgive us the sins we commit as disobedient children. What do you mean by that? When you trusted Christ as your personal savior, you became a child of the king. You're God's child. But as children will, you will be disobedient from time to time. John himself wrote, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you confess your sin? You as a Christian? I think you do. Do you ever think God gets annoyed with you? I don't know about you, but I tend to feel that I'm confessing the same sin all the time. It's like, hey, stupid, get, get with the program. But he forgives me. I don't know why, but he does. I'm his child, and I went off the tracks, and God forgives. What is the reason God wants us to forgive? Because he forgives us. Countless number of times. Since he forgives us when we confess our sins, we should willingly forgive others who sin against us. But there's another reason why he wants us to forgive it concerns the time when Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sin. On the cross of Calvary, your sin and my sin were placed upon Christ, he became our substitute. He took all the pain, punishment, suffering for us. When we trust Christ as Savior, we owe him a debt for everything. The Lord Jesus told a parable of the unforgiving debtor in Matthew 18. Basically, a servant of the king had abused his authority and lost a huge amount of money. And it was impossible for him to pay it back. Yet he fell down before the king and begged him, I'll pay it all back, forgive me. But he couldn't. But the master forgave him. And he walked out debt free, a free man. But then he ran into one of his fellow servants who owed him a pittance in comparison. Chump change. And he grabbed that guy and he said, you pay me what you owe me. And the guy said, give me time, I will pay it back. But he wouldn't give him time, and he threw him in prison. When the king found out about this, listen to what he said to the man in Jesus' parable. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Christ wants us to forgive. Because we're constantly confessing and he's constantly forgiving. Because there was a day in our life when we realized we needed to deal with our sin and Christ was offered to us as a savior and we took it. Paul writes in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, get this, as the Lord forgave you. We owe it to our God to forgive those around us. Howard Voss writes, Our sin debt to God was so horrendous and so totally beyond our ability to pay or atone for that the sins which others commit against us pale by comparison. Okay, I got it. I I think I understand. There, There are good positive reasons for me to forgive. But maybe I don't want to. Maybe I'm still angry, still bitter, holding a grudge. The second verse Doug read, Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. What? I'm his child. So I didn't forgive. What's the big deal? I'm angry. Amplified Bible of the same verse says. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing your hurt and anger with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your father will not forgive your trespasses. Ever have a child in your family do something wrong? Everything seems to be upset until that's dealt with, until the child comes and apologizes to mom or dad. And it's fixed and it's healed. Once we accept Christ as our Savior, we are part of the family of God. When I sin, I'm a disobedient child. I'm fighting God. And I lose the closeness with my Father. Not being granted the Lord's immediate forgiveness, as this verse talks about, is very disturbing. Try this one on for size. This verse, Psalm 66:18 in the New English Translation. If I had harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. He would not have listened if I harbored sin in my heart. Tough stuff. Getting the impression that not forgiving someone is important to the Lord? Greg Herrick writes, therefore, when Jesus says the father will not forgive, what he means is that God will allow the person to walk in their sin until they come face to face with it and see it for what it is. In other words, if the person is unwilling to forgive, let him deal with a God twice as stubborn when it comes to forgiving. God will not give in and the sinning brother will have to deal with an unforgiving father from whom he depends for the basic necessities of life. ever find yourself alone. You as a Christian may be alone, walking through a subway, surrounded by people but alone, no friends there, no family members there, out in some field, walking. How great it is to know that you can call upon the Lord anywhere, anytime. I don't know what else the Lord can tell us if we sin like this, we're breaking the nearness, the relationship we have with our Father. We're still a son or daughter, don't get me wrong, but there's friction there. There's unresolved sin there, and we need to deal with it. But the warning also gets a little more unpleasant. The Father will discipline and chasten us as his son or daughter if we stubbornly continue in the sin of unforgiveness. That old word chasten means whipping. I don't like to think about that. Hebrews twelve five to 6 says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. Sometimes discipline is necessary for a child to correct the behavior, to bring the child back into the warmth of the family. But you can control that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:31 and 32, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. You can fix it. There are people in your life that you haven't forgiven. You've got to deal with each one, each situation. The old English preacher John Wesley wrote these words. What kind of prayer are we offering to God when we utter these words if we have not clearly forgiven our neighbor his trespasses? We are indeed coming before God in open defiance, We are daring him to do his worst. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is, in the clearest terms, do not forgive us at all. We desire no favor on your hands. We pray that you will keep our sins remembered and that your wrath may abide on us. Can you seriously offer a prayer like that? We must forgive. As The gentleman, Joseph, told R.T. Kendall, you can and you must. God forgives us our daily sins as his children. God forgave us and saved us. God will not forgive if we don't forgive. And God will discipline us if we don't forgive. Okay, how should we forgive? What should we do? Is there a formula? No, not really. But there's some Scripture passages that suggest something we can think about. First of all, let that person off the hook. Simple. And as R.T. said, but I can't. You can, and you must. For in the same way you judge others, Matthew 7.2 says, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let them off the hook. Number two, covenant with God to forgive you in the same way you forgive others. One more time. Covenant with God to forgive you in the same way you forgive others. How does God forgive you? Totally, completely. Does he make you feel bad? Well, don't you do that again. That's a horrible thing you did. You go in the corner and think about that. He doesn't do that. So you make a a covenant, a deal with God. As you are forgiving me, I'm going to do the same thing. Give up the thought of punishing the one you forgive. There's that desire in us that we have been hurt. We want them to pay. I'm going to forgive him, but I'm sure hoping someone else gets to go through the same thing I did and blast that guy. Proverbs twenty four twenty nine says, very powerful. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. Do not say that. Pay him back. Number four, don't allow bitterness to take root in your heart. What do you mean bitterness? What happened eats away at you, whatever that is. Deadly, serious, life-threatening, whatever it might be, or something passing, but important to you. Don't let it take root in your heart as bitterness. Bitterness. In our home church, I knew of two sisters. They went to the church with us. They sat in different parts of the church and they never spoke to one another. Oh, I'd never do that. Wouldn't you? Bitterness, it takes hold in your heart. Don't allow bitterness to take root in your heart. Number five, don't tell others about the hurt from that person. Well, I need, to, I need to talk to my confidant. I need to talk to my husband, my best friend. I, I need to talk to somebody. Okay, limited. Don't use it as an opportunity to get even with the other person. I want you to know I forgave her completely. I hold nothing else against her. Let me tell you a little bit about what she did to me, though. Hmm that's awful, that's terrible, I wouldn't have forgiven her. Well, you know, I'm just such a godly man, I just <laughs> thought I would. Don't tell others about the hurt from that person. And lastly, number six, pray God's blessing on the one you forgive. Luke six twenty-seven and 28, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Boy, if that isn't a wake-up call, I don't know what is. That person that did that to me, that cost me that job, that continues to talk badly to me and about me, I will never forgive him. And if I forgive him, I'm certainly not going to pray for him or love him or accept him. You're disobeying the Lord. So here's the challenge for us. For the person who knows Jesus Christ as personal Savior... You might look at this and say, I get it. Forgiveness is important. I really know that it is. God wants me to do it. I don't want to get in trouble with God. I don't want to be disciplined. I want to get my prayers answered. But you know what? I can't do that until that person apologizes to me. They need to be repentant. I'm not going to waste my time. Why should I go talk to them? And why should I forgive them? There are two answers to that one is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other is Stephen, the deacon. Let me read you Luke 23:33 to 34. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, the Lord Jesus Christ, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Did they apologize to Christ? Did the soldiers say, gee, we're real sorry. We have to do this because we're that chain of command and all that good stuff. Not at all. Forgiveness begins in the heart. But it will cleanse and release you. Stephen, arrested by the religious leaders at the time, he spoke Glorious words about the Lord. And they hated him so much they wanted to execute him. And in the Jewish tradition, they executed him by stoning. They pushed him off a cliff. And the one who was most anxious to eliminate him would throw the first stone. And then the others from that overlook would throw stones until the person was dead. Acts 759 to 60, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said that, he fell asleep, he died. Do not hold the sin against them. They didn't apologize. They would do it again if they could. But you have the example of Christ, Christian. You have the example of Stephen. Someone who doesn't know the Lord. If you're here and maybe you've not thought about your sin, or maybe it's plagued you as you've thought about it in your life. So many people have so much guilt because of sins they've committed. I ask you to remember the servant that I mentioned in the Christ parable. He ran up a huge debt which he could never repay and he begged the king for forgiveness and the king granted it to to him. All of us have a lifetime of sin and disobedience to God. We can never pay it back. We can never excuse it. We can never clean ourselves. We can never be forgiven on our own. The king forgave him the servant, God will forgive you through Jesus Christ. When we pray in a minute, it's time to ask the Lord for that forgiveness. And you're saved from what the Bible calls the wrath to come. Before I pray, I'm going to read you a story. Some of you may be familiar with it, but it's very powerful. First, an introduction to it. Some of you may have heard the, the woman's name, Corrie Ten Boom. She lived in the Netherlands during the Nazi occupation of her country in World War II. Her family hid Jewish people in their home from the Nazis during that time. She and her sister Betsy were arrested and sent to the concentration camp in Ravensbrück. Betsy died in the camp. Corrie went back to Germany after the war and taught a message of God's forgiveness in Christ. One night, she spoke in a church in Munich and saw the guard who had treated her and Betsy, her sister, so badly. And this is what she wrote about that experience. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I'd like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with the skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt, I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Frohlein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase his, her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with coldness, clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed, silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into, my joined hand, into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Let's close in prayer. Our loving God, our gracious Father, we are sinners through and through. How often we sin against you. How you rescued us from our sin and gave us eternal life. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sin. Our sin was on him. We received it, and we're now his children. But still, we sin. We're foolish that way. Father, you're telling us we need to represent you. We are Christ ones, we are Christians. Our God is a forgiving God. We need to be forgiving Christians. Help us, Father. We're very weak. Bring to our minds even now that person or persons, that group, that situation that we have held in our minds for years and we will not forgive. But we can and we must. Lead us, Father, that we might be freed pure of that. As Christians, as a church. And if any here, Father, know not Jesus Christ, they don't know what it means to be a child of the King. Their sins all paid for. Pray, Father, that they might receive you even now, asking Jesus Christ to come into their heart and life as their Savior. Continue to bless us as we complete this service, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.